0: Temperance Tally.
1: My name is Ian Sutherland.
0: And welcome back to Tuesday After Next.
1: Assuming that you've been a listener before this episode.
0: Welcome back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or maybe you were Googling Obscure the Beaver Trilogy uh, trivia and you stumbled upon this podcast. Who knows?
0: <laughs> so this week is Ian's pick, hence why he's talking about Beaver Trilogy trivia. <laughs>
1: I don't know what's wrong with that idea, <laughs> that concept.
0: Anyway, let's, let's start off with uh, why would you choose the Be- Beaver Trilogy for the podcast?
1: Uh, so, first, a few minutiae about this film. Um, you can get it, it's not streaming anywhere. There's a documentary about it that I think is on Netflix called the Beaver Trilogy Part 4. But you can get this movie only directly from the source, Trent Harris's website, which I'll link in the description to this episode.
0: Oh, man, I just realized we were, like, watching a movie that people really could not actually... Access? Yeah, and watch. There's also a few other things I feel like we should probably think about when we uh, suggest movies to watch for people. Well, I'm saying
1: people can get it, but it'll cost you 25 bucks. (laughs) I
0: actually bought this for Ian because he said he wanted it. Yes, Um, I was talking
1: about it for a while. And
0: Trent Harris himself will email you back, which is, like, (laughs) a golden treat, to be honest.
1: Apparently
0: he was very nice. Uh, yes, he was really nice. I was moving at the time, um, and so the first DVD he sent did not get to me because I, as I said, moved. Um, and I messaged him about it, and he was like, no problem, I'm doing this thing in the mountains somewhere, but when I get back, I'll send you one. <laughs> so, possibly part of a cult. But uh, he was really nice about it, and he did send me another one.
1: He did? <laughs> uh Or, so in addition to just purchasing it from him, if you know me personally, I can just lend it to you. Because we found out today that at least one of our listeners is someone we know. So anyway, I will lend you this DVD, but you have to get it back to me. Uh, Mm -hmm. The second thing I wanted to touch on (laughs) was there are scenes that contain imagery associated with self-harm and suicide. So the content warning there.
0: Very huge content warning yeah. I was not given in the beginning of this movie.
1: Which I realized only too late was unwise. <laughs>
0: yes. Uh, it's actually really intense, so I'm actually going to, if when it comes to the point of why you shouldn't watch this movie, is that it is actually intense and it happens more than once. Mm-hmm.
1: And then I think the third thing is just uh, to clear up confusion around when this was released, because it does have a, an unusual chronology. The first part was shot in 1979, the second part was shot in 1981, and the third part was shot in 1985, and mm. the film itself was not released until 2001. Interesting. And I think it was only released in festivals, mm. but I'm not 100% sure. That's
0: not going kind to of make sense with the structure of the whole thing.
1: Mm-hmm. So there's that out of the way. hmm And I will now instantly forget those dates. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But now you know that it wasn't filmed just in one go. Mm -hmm. It was filmed over a couple of years. A few years. Yeah, over like six years. Yeah. And then finally released. Which makes sense because the structure of the movie is like um, almost a scene in uh, a person's life and then done three times uh, using different people to represent um, that story and showing like pieces of the movie I would say, as they happen to Trent Harris, and then showing uh, other pieces, like the second half of As It's Happening, or as I think maybe he imagined it happening, mm-hmm. um, to the, um, what was his name?
1: He's called A Few Different Things. He is
0: called A Few Different Things. I
1: just refer to him as the Beaver Kid or Groovin' Gary.
0: I'm going to go call the Beaver Kid. So it's pretty interesting of the structure of like, I think almost in the viewpoint of Trent Harris and then him coming up with the story, maybe, I don't know, of, of the viewpoint to the Beaver Kid. And you get Trent Harris's view of this scene in this man's life. And then you start getting more of the story of possibly of how he found Trent Harris mm-hmm. um, and started filming him. So it's a pretty interesting structure to go with it. But they use like three different people. Then the real guy, Beaver Kid, mm-hmm. and then Sean Penn.
1: Sean Penn. Penn doesn't who, look like
0: Sean Penn. He
1: was really young. Uh, is and Sean I think Penn he this from like, Hot Fuzz? No, no, no.
0: Who am I thinking of? Um,
1: uh, I don't know. Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg? <laughs> <laughs> no, Sean Penn is like an A-lister. He was briefly married to Madonna. And so that
0: was, That's what makes you an A-lister. If he was also in a bunch of movies. Madonna. I haven't
1: seen any of his films that I can remember. I just know that he was an A-lister. And I think he did this movie for about zero dollars,
0: potentially zero dollars. He did a really good job, though. Yes. I was really impressed, actually. And I thought it was interesting that this movie was kind of like, you know, impersonators, you know, they're impersonating, of course, a real person. And then the movie feels like it's impersonating an impersonator. Mm -hmm. So that's what I thought that was really interesting, but mostly strange.
1: (laughs) And then the third part is Crispin Glover in the lead. And then you have the idea that he's building off of Sean Penn's performance in a way. because I, I did think not it, get that at all. Well, I think it combines things that happened in the original and the first yes. part and in the second part, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So with that foreknowledge of these two segments of the film, uh, he's sort of impersonating an impersonator of an impersonator.
0: Mm-hmm. I definitely... I think... I think that makes sense. I think within the story-wise, I actually think as a performance of the two actors, mm-hmm. I definitely thought that the third actor, whoever, what, what did you think? Crispin Glover. McLover. <laughs> um, McLovin. I thought that his performance was actually really different from Sean Penn. Mm-hmm. Even And then I thought Sean Penn had like really good in, in impersonating... Um, Beaver Kid. Like, I thought, I thought he, he was just great. I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. So I thought that McLovin was a little bit more, I think, sad to me. Maybe that's because I know more of the story, so the whole story mm-hmm. kind of felt sad. But, like, I just thought that he, he felt more drained. Mm-hmm. Um, where I felt like the other two definitely had these upbeat moments of, um, I don't know, just upbeat moments of, like, having this one scene being repeated a couple of times, and at the end, it was like he was drained. Which maybe that's what, maybe that's what you need at the end because it was really sad, at least for me. <laughs> I uh,
1: when I, I remember watching this, and feeling really uncomfortable during the second part. Really, really because I thought that the performance again, as you're saying, Sean Penn's performance uh, as the Beaver Kid was eerie, like almost spot on. At the same time, the way that the second part is told felt very, very mean to me, like mean-spirited and kind of acidic. So watching it, it felt as though this performance, the way it was shot, the way the narrative was framed and presented, was making fun of the beaver kid and belittling him. That's what I initially thought. I have a different perspective now, though I still think it's the meanest and perhaps the bleakest.
0: Really? I definitely thought the third part was the meanest... And I also thought, I thought there was, I think at the end they tried to have this resolution for this character, mm-hmm. but I didn't buy it. Sure. I didn't buy it. I also thought that the, um, and I think, I think it's seen in these two, um, almost acts of, uh, suicide. Like it's, it's so, it's, to me it's graphic even though he, he doesn't actually it do graphic, it. It's yes. very graphic. For, mm-hmm. And then to a point where I think like the, the, First time because it doesn't actually happen in the Beaver Kid when you're actually seeing like the real kid, mm-hmm. and then when they bring in Sean Penn, they add this moment where he's about to commit suicide, and to a point where he gets a phone call, mm-hmm. and that kind of changes everything. And it almost seems like this accepting moment that there was someone there that actually thought what he did was pretty cool for the talent show. As then the third part, it was solely on this fact that he couldn't do it. There was no no person there to actually like. I guess, get him out of this moment. And that might be like an empowering thing um, of a person themselves saying they can't do it. But for me, it definitely felt like he had like at least another ally in Mm -hmm. the second one where you actually are first witnessing this and someone is saying that I enjoyed this. Mm -hmm. The other one was like, I just couldn't do it. And then like, I'm going to wear my wig or something like that. So I definitely thought the the third part just felt really sad. It mm-hmm. wasn't... Even the response to the audience that I thought in the second... Though I guess in the impersonation, actually, because it's not really the second one. But in the second round of watching this scene in, in the Beaver Kid's life, I thought the audience enjoyed the performance more. And then the third one, it's like he had a friend that absolutely just, like, I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. It just definitely felt like there were dominoes and everything was falling apart. And then, and then there were, like... I can do it. And I was like, I don't think that's actually realistic or real that, you know, you have everything fall apart and then all of a sudden, like, no, I got this. I can do this now. And the second part, it definitely felt like there were some pieces falling apart, but there's definitely a redeeming quality of someone reaching out to him.
1: So let's talk about the first part, because after the the first segment where... The Beaver Kid is just so... I think he's just so sweet and so genuine and so goofy. And... And there seems to be some actual support for him. Like, unlike in the other two performances uh, of the song, the Olivia Newton-John song, he has a backup band. There are people on stage with him. Mm -hmm. In the Sean Penn installment and the Crispin Glover installment, Mm -hmm. he's up there alone. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Like, he is made to be alone in the situation. Uh... Additionally, in the first segment, the actual documentary portion of this film, he has someone, you know, join him in the performance like, Lover, who's this guy in a creepy mask who carries him off stage. Mm-hmm. You can kind of hear laughter from the audience. Mm-hmm. It feels just, it's certainly not this tragic critique of small town gender values or what have you that mm-hmm. shows up in the second one or the third one. Mm-hmm. So where is that coming from? I have my theories. But how do you see that connection being made?
0: I think in the first one, um, I think it was done like it's it's kind of silly, and I definitely thought that like like I'm impersonating this person and like I think the whole people around him thought it was just this is just kind of funny, and like the whole point was to be funny. Whereas in the other two installments, but like this was this it was like some type of like journey he was going through of discovering himself, mm. um, and. So, then, in that aspect, it felt more real. And I think the other two are shot outside or before the performance is even, like, given. hmm So, it's, like, you can see him interact before he's actually doing the thing with people outside of, like, the, the theater itself. hmm So, you're getting more of, like, actually, what do people think? And the people who actually went to the audience were there to support, like... And, honestly, all weird acts. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> So it's like, I think there was already an acceptable level once you're in the uh, audience, once you're there. But outside, the normal people around their, I don't know, maybe their opinion of how how the town actually really thinks um, is more shown. But I think mostly it felt like the first first part with just the Beaver kid, like, this is funny, this is funny, and people are going to laugh. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing it to kind of be funny. And I also really like this character. But the second two was definitely like... What's her name?
1: Olivia Newton-John.
0: Like, staring at her poster of, like, I am Olivia Newton-John. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't think that was true for the Beaver Kid. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, like, even the third part where he's, like, rubbing the wig in the dark. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't... You don't do that? I don't think that's what the Beaver Kid was trying to really show here. So it's weird that, like, it kind of got creepier and, like... Not even creepier, but it got like a little bit more deep in like, this More sense, psychological. Where it's like I don't know if that was like my first, the first thing that I thought the Beeper Kid was trying to do with these characters, but maybe sure.
1: it's increasingly fictionalized. Yeah, it, even the quality of it increases as you go.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: the third part is very cinematic, mm-hmm. whereas the second one, which was shot on a budget of like a hundred bucks, the film quality is not great in black and white for whatever that's worth it's just like a lower scale production Mm -hmm. and even the narrative begins in the parking lot begins with him encountering Trent Harris or Mm -hmm. Terrence Uh, and we don't really get an expansion on the story until after the show Mm -hmm. and that's when the the fiction kicks in Mm -hmm. whereas the third part we have the establishing shot of him standing on the bluffs Mm -hmm. or whatever, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really nice. I really Mm -hmm. like that opening. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it does get increasingly fictionalized as it goes along.
0: And I think the reason why it does get sadder too is that in the first part, you don't get how Trent Harris is actually reacting to the beaver kid. It just feels like he's just filming him Mm -hmm. and as, as he goes, whereas in the second part you get to this point where it is, he is making fun of Mm -hmm. the beaver kid Like, you know, he's doing this for profit and because he thinks that people are going to laugh at the beaver kid. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, first got this artist who's like, this kid's kind of interesting, let's do it. And now you got the second part of like, oh, this guy's just kind of scummy.
1: And at that point, he had been sitting with the original film that he shot and theoretically released for a television segment Mm -hmm. for two years, right? Two or three years. Mm -hmm. So my thinking, and this is... This is where my thoughts have changed around the second part of the film. My thinking is that he kind of felt some personal sense of responsibility for having for having put this kid on television, for having filmed him. And maybe he did think during the initial documentary shooting, maybe he was making fun of him in his head. Maybe he did have these intentions or these motivations. Or maybe not. But he's sort of feeling the responsibility of being to whatever degree of professionalism a documentary filmmaker right blowing into town filming this kid and then blowing back out of town you know this kid lives with the fact that he performed in drag on stage whatever the result and maybe trent harris doesn't know what the result was but trent harris just gets to go and film this and leave so i I think it's him reflecting on the potential irresponsibility of being a documentarian which is why he portrays himself as so mean and scuzzy and gross. And the difference between the second part and the third part, because the character is similar, the character of, of Terence is similar in both parts, is that in the third part, his role is shown to have less power over the Beaver Kid. In a way, he feels less in control, like he's more just an extra in the movie, whereas mm-hmm. in the second part, he is a driving force behind this, and he's really, really present you
0: see what I mean? I do see what you mean. I guess it makes me think, and I'm not sure if this is actually, like, something I think I believe, is when does it become a point where your honesty, like, damages another person to the point where they're trying to commit suicide? hmm And, like, you might feel like you have a responsibility to show, like, hey, I was making fun of you, actually, and, like, I need people to see me like in this negative light because I was doing this thing and this is like quote-unquote punishment for myself or whatever even Mm -hmm. if that's true or not true but I definitely think there's a point even in the movie where like people's honesty how they felt about him Mm -hmm. felt like unwarranted Mm -hmm. um and to a point where like you know your honesty legit even if like this is how you feel which really does not matter when it comes to another person's lifestyle like um I just think like that's dangerous it's dangerous because this person was really hurt and really scared. Mm -hmm. I really felt that he was really scared that people would make fun of him. Mm -hmm. And it would like, and then he became this thing of like embarrassing the town Mm -hmm. where I was thinking of like, this person is scared that people are going to make fun of him. And then another part of like, he really likes Beaver, Mm -hmm. the town Beaver. And now his town's going to be made fun of. I don't think I actually understood that. Mm And I think that just might be a thing of like, who cares what other people think? But it seemed like the beaver kid did. He cared what other people thought.
1: I think, to a certain extent, this movie is a critique of small-town clannishness. hmm Of small-town values, of mm-hmm. small-town identity.
0: hmm well, I don't know. Like, the, the first one where he's just, like, documenting, documenting him, mm-hmm. just filming him it felt it did feel like the town was fine with it and yeah. then it became a thing where he started adding fiction where it was like people the town's not okay with it
1: and so, that's the intrusion of the filmmaker into the film
0: hmm. yeah so i wonder like how much how much a filmmaker someone who does documentaries how much um, i don't know i guess the influence they have in a movie is very, it needs to be very delicate Mm -hmm. and then it becomes like this is a whole new story and I don't think you actually have the right to change the whole new story or to even add your piece of fiction to it when like the first part to me was very innocent and genuine and then it's like in a way it feels like he kind of dirtied it Mm
1: -hmm. and in
0: a way that I think is unfair to the beaver kid himself
1: I think he was trying to capture something that he saw in the first segment and he ended up creating something entirely different. So I don't think he captured it, but I think he was trying to. I think that the Beaver Kid in the first segment in the documentary, there are some moments of real a real seriousness, a real like intention and I think that's that's because of Groovin' Gary himself. He is he's goofy and he's genuine. And at the same time, he seems very, very earnest. Very earnest about where he's from, very earnest about who he is, about his gender identity, and very earnest about his, his love for performance uh, and channeling that into Olivia Newton-John and other characters. And so I think in the second part and the third part, the filmmaker is trying to, trying to build on that earnestness and trying to really evaluate what it meant that this young man was so attached to this town and this character, this performance. And he's trying to, in a way, sort himself out in the middle of these things.
0: I can definitely see that more when he adds his fiction. But Mm -hmm. I don't know if I actually got that he was trying to sort himself out as strongly and as sadly as um, just watching him do his performances. Sure. Which I think he was acting in earnest of like, I do like performing and I do like... Olivia. I keep forgetting her name.
1: Olivia knew no, um, it's okay. And I she th- was th- in Xanadu.
0: I thought so. I was like, is that Xanadu Girl? Um, <laughs> Xanadu Girl. Or she couldn't dance, but she could sing.
1: <laughs> she couldn't dance. No. She could stand still.
0: Yeah, and then they danced around her.
1: Yeah, those dancers were good.
0: Yeah, they were. Um, but there's definitely a point where I think you get like I think of um, my supervisor at Starbucks who's completely into Madonna mm-hmm. to the point where he'll speak about Madonna and there's a moment of intensity in his mm-hmm. eyes where he gets really uncomfortable. I'm thinking that this person would even get, like, a tattoo of Madonna and has spent thousands upon thousands of dollars to go see her. And there are definitely people like that. Like, you get these, like, icons that people just, like, absolutely fall in love with. And then, it, and then it gets kind of weird where they can't really, like, take, like, be them, themselves their own person anymore because this other person is, like, like you said, a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was this interesting moment where he's putting on the makeup of Olivia or whatever. Um, and he's saying things like, I'm a man. I don't want to be Olivia. Olivia's Olivia is Olivia. You know, and I'm me. And he needs to make that clear because most people, because he, th- well, probably at the time, people wouldn't get that. And I thought that was really clear to me. That, like, I'm a man, I'm a man, but this this is fun. This will help me get into character better. And then it felt like in the other two, it was like, I am Olivia. Mm-hmm. I am channeling Olivia's spirits. And then it got weird. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if the beaver kid actually went this far of that he could not sort out himself but between Olivia, especially when he says it from his own lips, and himself.
1: You're an author. Confirm or deny.
0: <laughs> I am not Where sure it is.
1: <laughs> Have you written fiction before?
0: Let's say yes.
1: How do you create characters?
0: What do you mean how do I like, create them?
1: I'm saying, where do you draw from in order to create a fictional character? It doesn't work. Character?
0: I think I know what you're trying to do. It doesn't work because these characters <laughs> are legit not real, and Olivia was a real person. Um, so it's like, I can think of a, of a character um, probably drawing on multiple people, mm-hmm. and then that person comes to life. Well, at least in the fictional world. And you could absolutely say these people aren't real. But when you, it becomes, this is a real person in real life and you're trying to be them, I think that's where it gets kind of eerie.
1: Here, I, that's not where I was going with that at all. That's interesting. What I was insinuating ever so man, manipulatively, that sounds creepy, Machiavellianly. Manipulatively, yeah, <laughs> like. <laughs> uh, what I was creeping up on
0: mm-hmm.
1: was this idea that Trent Harris. Mm-hmm. Wanted to tell a story and mm-hmm. he encountered this person in real life. He had gone to mm-hmm. this talent show mm-hmm. and this had is these a real experiences. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's a really interesting experience. Mm-hmm. And then that idea sat with him, and then he wanted to tell a story about that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the story happened to coincide for a lot of its length with the actual events, in air quotes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it was still this desire to create a character and tell a story. Mm -hmm. So was he really saying, look, this is what happened. This is how I see the beaver kid. Or was he saying, I want to tell this story about de-normalizing gender in a small town. And this is how I'm doing it. This is the vehicle because this is an experience I've had that I'm going to elaborate on. Because I feel like that's what fiction is. You have experience and you elaborate
0: on it. Sure I could say I could say I can agree with that I think like I said it, then it becomes to a responsibility of that other person mm-hmm. and I think you're making this person not only that like this person who to me I thought was a really happy genuine person and then like okay now it's time for my own story which you're using this person for to have your own story mm-hmm. which hey you know how are movies supposed to be made but then it becomes this thing where like now you're portraying these these people who I thought were okay with the beaver kid doing this, thought it was funny, um, somewhat ex- accepting of this, and then portraying in a way that I think that we already see, where we already see that when like someone switches ginger rolls like this, they're automatically attacked, harassed, that the person wants to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Whereas I thought in the first part, you had this beautiful thing where the town was accepting, sure. this, this is funny, mm-hmm. we're going to help you, you know, and like saying like, oh, he and even I think it's a perfect good is a perfect example. The woman who puts on his makeup, mm-hmm. she is in the first part. She is so lively, mm-hmm. saying that good things about him. And then as he as she comes back, she slowly gets quieter, more uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and like it becomes this thing where like you're showing us this negative part like what could happen in this small town mm-hmm. um, that i think we probably already know or we could believe and it's already sad whereas you had something that was already kind of gold that we do not see in small towns so it's like let me let me sh- let me show this good moment of this guy's life and i think maybe i can even be taking from like just my experience of watching this and how i felt the weaver kid was like sure Trent probably had a different one probably experienced more I don't know how actually people were reacting. But what I was seeing was that this town was really accepting of this kid mm-hmm. who was switching up gender roles and then taking it saying that now it's my story and I want to show like what it can be like or could be like. It's like you're already showing us what we already know. I think it was absolutely breathtaking to know that there could be a small town accepting of this man. And that wasn't, that wasn't. It was like, let me make this sad for a story. That's how, that's how that felt to me.
1: Sure. I definitely think the themes running through this are the responsibility of the filmmaker to the subject,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and acceptance and where it comes from, mm-hmm. because it comes from a different place in each in each installment, and responsibility of the filmmaker is located differently, I think, in each in each segment. Sure. Um, I do want to ask. You knew of this movie. I'd probably describe the format to you where you read about it when you got it for me or something, right?
0: I remember you saying, because you said this not too long ago when we were camping, Mm -hmm. that the Beaver Trilogy is um, real like filming this kid that just shows up. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was a second part where um, I guess they decided to just put in actors to film the same thing. I did not expect a third part of Mm -hmm. that impersonating I was like, oh, okay, so we're done. That wasn't so bad, and I thought his, like, when Sean Penn did the impersonation of Beaver Kid, okay, we're, we're done, but that third part, mm-hmm. that one was a bit draining, mm-hmm. I, so I didn't know about that.
1: So, what did you think of the structure of this film? What do you think about the fact that it's one short documentary and two short films sewn together?
0: I think that I think what I said in the beginning of speaking for the podcast was um it was really interesting of the structure because it was you're getting Trent Harris's point of view and mm-hmm. then you slowly get the beaver kid and slowly get to a point where you see that the beaver kid actually like I don't know it seems like he actually was thinking of how he was going to get on TV mm-hmm. and I thought the first part was just him just kind of being there mm-hmm. so I think it takes out the spontaneity of um um, the Beaver Kid, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I really don't know. But I thought The Shock was definitely interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's not something that I haven't seen before. Um, but de- I haven't seen like a documentary, two short films to put together. Sure. That's pretty interesting. But have I seen, like, we're going to show you this portion of this person's life, mm-hmm. and then we're going to show you it again, but now we're starting at a different point.
1: There is a type of film that I can never remember exactly what it's called. But is formed of like vignettes mm-hmm. strung together, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like one of those ensemble holiday movies, like Valentine's Day or mm-hmm. what have you. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I know that is a semi common format in indie filmmaking as well. Interesting. I think Jim Jarmusch's Coffee and Cigarettes, which I own on DVD because it has Tom Waits in it, but I have not seen, mm-hmm. is like that. Um,. There's probably another one. King Express is a few different movies kind of stuck together. I was thinking of Chunking Express because of the, the use of one song over and over and over again.
0: Remind me of...
1: The pineapple one. Remember when he said pineapple? One. Yeah.
0: That is kind of like two short films put together.
1: Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of that one because I watched this YouTube video. But
0: that they, they live separately from each other, really.
1: Sure, but then they're put into one film. And yeah, it begs the question why. But
0: these these were definitely like put together. Like yes, you're not yes. you're not you're not introducing new characters at
1: all. Like they're they're clearly connected. Yeah, like very obviously. Yes, why I was thinking of Tron King Express, most clearly, uh, as I was saying, I watched a YouTube video that talked about the use of music in movies. And I watched a YouTube video. I mean, walked in and out of the room while my dad and mom watched this video.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this was, I think, before I had seen Jumping Express, though I had it on a list somewhere. And the video talked about how the song California Dreamin' by the Mamas and the Papas Mm -hmm. was used, like, at least eight different times in that movie.
0: Mm.
1: And it meant different things and accompanied different emotions almost every time Mm -hmm. it was played. So, like, frustration, sadness, joy, reconciliation. Mm -hmm. So, I was thinking about it, and I was counting this time around. They use... Please don't keep me waiting by Olivia Newton-John mm-hmm. in seven different instances, mm-hmm. including his renditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought it was interesting that even more than some of the some of the settings and some of the content, mm-hmm. this song runs through the movie. Yeah, and the song unites different visions of the same thing. So that's why I was connecting it to that movie. But yeah, this is this format isn't unheard of. I think it's just used in a very specific way here.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, the format's not done. I still I don't think I've ever heard something of doing, like, his a documentary and then two short films. Mm-hmm. I actually, that was pretty innovative. I've never heard that before.
1: For me, that reflects the writing process, too.
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: I have this input, whatever it is. Even if the input itself is fictional, like a novel, I'm taking something in using my five senses and then I am putting something back out there that is based on whatever I've taken in and it's a collage essentially of my experiences yeah. and then I edit that and I expand on it mm-hmm. if I'm being good <laughs> and if I actually want to take the time to work on something mm. and then that is as close to a finished product as you can get That's and it can it really gives, keep kind going of like you know?
0: manipulative to me well, like I get that, like, you know, you're going to take in whatever, and mm-hmm. then you're going to come back out with your own product, maybe, mm-hmm. but I definitely think, man, when it just involves, like, another person or a group of people, mm-hmm. I think this is something that we learned in, like, anthropology classes, where you're documenting, mm-hmm. like, other cultures, another person, yeah. there's a certain point where you don't really get to, like, add your own fiction to this, yeah. where I honestly think, like, and I think that's, like, as an artist where you have to, like, draw a line, I think... People don't know how to draw lines when it comes to stuff about, like, real actual people. Sure. Especially when they're being so open to show you their life. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, well, now I get to take this and do whatever I really want with it. Um, Even if you're trying to be respectful, there's always going to be this sense of, like, you still took something from somebody else. It's like, here, let me show you my, like, family album. I want to give this to you. You take it and then rip it up Mm -hmm. and then like well I saw it to be like this isn't this great especially if you're profiting from it Mm. it's like I'm absolutely now against this (laughs) it's like this process of thinking where I think like that's unfair for that person especially if you do not ask them especially if they do not see it Um, and I wonder like how the beaver kid would react to like being like hey I see you having a suicidal moment because the town can accept you twice
1: uh two things one i love love your photo uh, photo album analogy i think that's great i'm gonna think about that uh two by all accounts by all accounts i mean one account that i read uh in an interview with Trent harris he was like yeah the the guy knows about this movie mm-hmm. and he's like fine. not not even fine with it but like he's he's cool with it uh, and by all accounts, he was just a cheerful dude. He actually passed away not that long ago, oh. at fifty. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm. He, according to the Sean Penn segment of this, he was about twenty-one mm-hmm. when it was first shot in '79. So, mm. yeah, he was still quite young.
0: Mm. You know this movie? What this movie reminds me of? What? Fox and his friends. <laughs>
1: no it's
0: because it's manipulative everything feels really manipulative and it's really interesting because in the movie itself like you in in Fox His Friends you can see how this kid's being manipulative Mm -hmm. but now it's like watching this movie and now you're seeing how the director is being kind of manipulative Mm -hmm. and the town it's like oh this is manipulative I don't I don't think this is this is wise to do um, especially when, like, it's kind of sad, even, even at the end, where it's just the beaver kid, mm-hmm. and he's saying goodbye, mm-hmm. feels really sad and eerie, um, even though that was probably one of, like, definitely better, well, I guess that's not true, the one with Sean Penn, where he actually gets that phone call, um, from that girl that's saying, like, hey, come over and be Olivia for us. Mm-hmm. Even the way that starts out was kind of, like, dumb. But mm-hmm. I, just thought, I just thought all the way through, this movie felt manipulative. Mm-hmm. And I think something's going to feel manipulative when you're putting these, like, I think, violent and personal acts of self-harm into it. Sure. Um, things like suicide, things like rape, things like th- these things that are, like, just, like, so awful.
1: To be clear, there is no anything related to sexual assault. No,
0: way. no, no. It's just suicide. So, you know. Anyways. <laughs> um, but when those things are added into movies that are mm-hmm. so jarring and mm-hmm. feel like such an, um personal events, I sure. should say, um, and we are looking at it and we can already think about how horrifying these acts are. Um, I think when you put them in movies like this, I think it almost feels... Um, well, jarring, first of all. Mm-hmm. But I think it's always hard for me to, like, accept that this is, like, that it's being done to be artful. Where I feel like I don't think it's being done to be artful. I think it's being done to be manipulative. And just, like, especially when there's no content warning. Mm-hmm. For me, I definitely felt like, you know, this feels um, almost unreal mm. um, and offensive mm. to people who go through these processes and to, like see them being relived by people um, I don't really think could understand um, that process of getting into. Like, now That's you're doing this, like, to be in a movie, to be shocking, to be jarring. Sure. Um, and not to be, like, I don't even know another word. I want to say, like, informative. But mm. I don't necessarily think the Beaver which truly really didn't say it couldn't be informative. But it almost felt like he was saying, like, A plus B equals C. Mm. So if you're switching up gender wolves, you automatically are going to go through an attempt at suicide. Sure, Even though in the very beginning of the beaver Kit, it really didn't feel like, I don't know, I guess a part of of him. But, you know, you never know. You never know.
1: My question is this. This is all really interesting. I love your perspective on things that I think I've got figured out because it always shakes up my perspective.
0: Mm.
1: My question is this. If this were not three films connected, but one film, just start to finish about this character, we don't see it re- reenacted, just we meet the Beaver Kid. We go to Beaver, Utah, we see the performance, we see the fallout of the performance. we see one of the one of the two endings that we got in the fictional accounts. Would it be as manipulative? Would you consider it as manipulative if it were just pure fiction? As far as you could tell,
0: interesting. Um, I think that's hard to say because they don't have like. So it was just pure fiction. Like the Beaver Kid wasn't actually a real person.
1: As far as you knew.
0: As far as I knew, the Beaver Kid was an actual real person.
1: Yeah, you were just presented this movie as a fictional film.
0: Yeah, because of the acts of the, the attempt at suicide. I think like I think it's just those those like. Acts that um, happen to people, mm-hmm. um, like I said, that they I just seem are really intimate and really personal. Mm-hmm. I think when uh, directors, um, even in a fictional sense, um, put that in movies, mm-hmm. they, they it just suddenly becomes less real. It doesn't seem le- it doesn't seem personal, and then it feels like you know. Like, in a way that you're being manipulative. It's like, I already cared for this person, mm-hmm. and then it's like, you really need to care for this person because this person now is like being raped
1: mm-hmm. or like
0: is committing suicide. I think like people want to rush to those things because they're so graphic. Mm-hmm. And but to me, it's like, I guess I think it's either, either. I don't know, almost inhuman. i am going to say the word because I can't think of one. I think it's tacky. Mm. Um, and I think it's just really ingenuine to add that stuff in to force, for me, shock value, to care about this character more. Mm. It's like, I already cared about this character. Um, and then you went to like, from, you were like at A and you jumped all the way to Z.
1: So it's less that the drawn from real events, documentary nature of the narrative compounds the jarring manipulation of self-harm and self-harm imagery. But it's more that just you find these images of violence against or violence uh, directed at the self.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You find those images already manipulative and jarring in a lot of media.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And like like I said, if this pre- pre- presents it all as a fiction, um, I would feel less manipulated by the director himself mm-hmm. and like not think that he's kind of scummy. Sure. Um if it was just all a fiction and he didn't know this person or like this person wasn't a person and then i would still find it like in the movie itself that it was being manipulative because you're at you're adding these like serious acts of violence and i think like this makes me think of um gosh what's that show called 10 reasons why
1: Oh, 13 reasons why. I was like, I
0: feel like ten is not the right one. Thirteen You're reasons of why. How to lose a guy in ten days. Or yeah, ten I things am. I hate about you. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of ten things. Ten commandments. Yep. <laughs> um, ten fruit trees. I'll explain that later. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how there was a big fallout um, of just like how these thirteen reasons why of when someone commits suicide, you never get to really figure out why, mm. and just having this whole show about someone who decided to commit suicide of how there was still this this the shock that this thing would even be this show would even be presented to people because they're such personal acts and Mm -hmm. like i just think i just think like i don't know it doesn't feel like this is something that needs to be for tv but Mm -hmm. i wouldn't also know how to educate the public that these things do happen um to all sorts of people Mm -hmm. um i think it's definitely already portrayed that these things happen to people who um are gay who Mm -hmm. are transgendered who i don't know mess up gender roles not mess up that's the wrong word (laughs) that um well mess up like ideas
1: about gender roles right like just disrupt
0: yeah so it's like you know it's like those things those two things are tied and it's definitely true that people who are transgendered and gay tend to have um to experience uh, things such like that, and it's already, like, horrific to me mm-hmm. that when you put it in, like, TV, especially when you're adding, like, a fictional element, mm-hmm. and it's definitely not, like, a fictional thing to be playing around with.
1: Interesting. Well, And I return to the idea that these depictions can be, can be both problematic and or they can be disturbing but relevant, right? I think of, as we're talking about suicide in film... Uh, what springs to mind most readily, mm-hmm. although I'm sure I've encountered images of suicide a lot in movies, what springs to mind most readily is uh, Three Idiots, uh, the Bollywood film with Amir Khan, and mm-hmm. the other movie I watched about farmer suicides in rural India, Peeply Live,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, one of which was you know a comedy and mm-hmm. also talked about a current issue in India, which is high rates of suicide among students.
0: Yes. The so other, I was thinking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: The other was not so much a comedy as like it was it was a comedy but it was like pitch black mm-hmm. it was very very satirical mm-hmm. of media coverage of suicide mm-hmm. of the government mm-hmm. of how financial relief is deployed in india mm-hmm. like you'll support a farmer financially if he kills himself you'll give his family money but you won't support him financially while he's his alive life,
0: yeah so mm-hmm. i
1: thought about how those themes were really, really personal to the characters. Like, the the suicide scene in um, Three Idiots was was very shocking.
0: It's always this... And I was thinking about that movie that we watched for... Not even for the podcast. The Japanese movie. It actually could not be Japanese. It was of that guy who was part of a gang. and Tokyo Drifter. Tokyo Drifter. Of that one guy that was... Oh, cutting, Slitting His Wrist. Slitting His Wrist is one. But I was yeah. thinking about the guy where he just, like, walked away and then shot himself in the head. It was like give it up.
1: Oh yeah.
0: But like to me, there's this thing where like it happens, and then it's always done within like this honor sense, mm-hmm. which I think like well, I mean, in a way of wherever, how can I say how? Oh my gosh, how am I gonna say this? How different countries what they how they think of suicide being. Sure. And I think like the the role it plays. Socially. The role it plays. So there's this thing about. um in Japan, how it's always this sense of like I is of honor, like mm. I disrespected someone in some mm. way, um, or I can't do this thing. There's even like the um, lover suicide mm. thing. It comes to this point where like they can't escape something, and it's being broadcast on TV. So it always feels like when you're watching these films that have these violent acts, to me, that you're supporting it in some way um it being in film like Mm -hmm. buying the beaver trilogy in some form in some way is the support of having these violent acts in movies um and i think that's where i kind of like draw the line of like you shouldn't watch things that have like rape or you know or people committing suicide especially if it's not being portrayed in a way where that person is caught or that person uh that story of that person uh I guess to me, it's not lived out to the fullest, or it's not honest um, to that person themselves that are experiencing those acts of violence. And even then, I think it's just extremely disrespectful.
1: Well, I'll use that to circle back around to where I was headed um, by referencing those Hollywood films. I think that, for example, Tokyo Drifter,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it was pointing to the inflexibility of that honor social system mm-hmm. that was present in Yakuza films, mm-hmm. right? Like saying this isn't actually a sustainable power dynamic mm-hmm. and hierarchy is rigid and it will break. So just like People Alive, Just Like Three Idiots, it's, it's saying, it's social commentary. It's saying if you have these inflexible structures that mm-hmm. do harm to mm-hmm. people's souls, mm-hmm. the result is... Real real lives lost, real violence, mm-hmm. real oppression.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that.
1: And so I think that that is where the line can be drawn between exploitation, gratuitous violence, gratuitous self-harm, um, and real tacky manipulation. And mm. actual social commentary saying, these are things that happen. I'm depicting this to say, look, this happens as a result of, of marginalization. Sure. As a result of, of oppression.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could, I could agree with that. that. That that I think that's something that can be quite powerful. And I think that needs to be clear. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I don't really necessarily think that's clear in Beaver trilogy. Sure. Even though I know that I could make that claim. Mm-hmm. I don't think the movie itself was um, actually attempting to make that claim. Sure. Um, and I guess I think that depends on... I think there are probably a lot of ways that you can make that statement without having someone kill themselves on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think... I think it's respectful to the audience as well or the people who want to, um, which is pretty interesting, respectful for the audience as well and for people who watch these movies um, to not have those in there because they can be so jarring. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah.
0: And so quickly. And like I said, I watched it without warning.
1: And Mm. as I
0: was watching it, Ian was like, I would not do that to you. Um, but it felt like it was already being done already to being me. Done too, yeah. Um, and so and there's nothing on I don't think I've said anything on the on, on the Beaver trilogy that mm. there's a content warning for this thing. Yeah. And even when you get content war- warnings, it's still kind of horrific anyway mm. and it makes me feel sick. But I think I think you do make a good point that it it can have some commentary when you have these hard structures, people there are some people who just cannot survive it. And I guess that speaks volumes on our society. I never necessarily think, though, that I guess, um, I guess maybe you just don't find those people in time to really try to show them that, you know, this, this part of society, there's a part of society who's always going to be willing to accept you um, uh, and bring you in um, when and if necessary. Yeah, and then, you know, you end up talking about suicide for, like, 30 minutes.
1: Yeah, for, like, the bulk of the episode, which is totally fine. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: There's also the sense that movies are supposed to be, at least for me, this might mm -hmm. not be for everything, um, that these movies are supposed to be kind of an escape from reality, and then you have moments um, where, you know, you don't necessarily get to have that freedom to think that uh, you're free from the burdens of... Life because you're watching how to be a Latin lover. Mm-hmm. Um you're watching like this kid contemplating on taking his life because people are making fun of him. Um so there's something like that and that, that is to be said. And
1: I could go on for potentially many, 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 many hours about how there is no there is no art without responsibility without drawing from real life, how documentaries are really fictional and how fiction is really nonfiction and blah, 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 blah.
0: hmm
1: I won't, but I could.
0: Mm. Are we, that like, close to for an hour?
1: I don't know. We should probably start to wrap up. Yeah, off. okay. I do want to say, though, uh, I definitely should have provided a content warning for this film.
0: hmm
1: And I, like, will continue to... I will I will be better about doing that from here on out. Mm-hmm. Uh, interpersonally, as well as just for the podcast.
0: Mm-hmm probably will talk to you about actually not having th- watching things. films like I, I would not I don't want to watch any films that have like rape or committed suicide. Yeah, so absolutely. this is gonna be our first and last one for
1: me. <laughs> I definitely remember um, doing Wolf Guy with Kyle and thinking, ew, I'm never doing a film like this again. Mm-hmm. So yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: One and done. Um so you wanna go first? You wanna go last?
0: Oh, why? so why you shouldn't watch this film? This is Ian's pick. No, you have, why you should watch why
1: this film. Why you should?
0: No, you picked it, so you should do... Oh, I'm yeah. you should. watch this film because the structure is actually really interesting. I think those who are actually interested in filmmaking that are listening to, for, through the podcast, you would find it really interesting of having this documentary and then two short fictions. Um, I think you could also learn a lot about uh, working with a low budget. Because mm. um, I think there yeah. was still some really good... Uh, really good moments uh with the film that they had um i also thought that when you have a short film i think the acting throughout the whole movie um and i think the director actually making smart moves when it comes to not really like not really having the say on who the actors are necessarily Mm -hmm. um and then when he did have a say uh, how that reflects the first movie mm. and the the first documentary and then the other two. I thought the character that do- really stood out to me that I thought were really interesting was the speaker, actually, who uh, oh, the announces MC. the performances. I thought the first one was, like, super uh, charming, yeah, charismatic. Something. Like, I thought he was interesting-looking. So, really, how to work with a low budget and how you can still have a great film, the structure, uh, will be really interesting. You should also watch this film if you're interested, um, which I think this was something who was new for me, Mm -hmm. is this watching a man who I guess I would say is presumably... uh, Oh my gosh, I don't know if I can say he's actually a straight man. But like I think it's really interesting having this man who is like confirming to you that he is a man and I am my own person, um, and I just do this for fun. I think it's actually really interesting because I think when most people dress in drag there's always a sense that they're gay or that they're that And I, th- I thought it was really interesting that you know a man can be very straight and also just do drag um which I think is really to me I would find a very rare thing um or have those things be conflicting for a lot of people but I actually know a personal friend who um Anyways, I'm a personal <laughs> friend who is super straight in a way that I'm all like, you need to calm down, mm. um, and but also really likes doing drag for the performance and the makeup of it all. Um, so this was, like, really the first film that I actually thought, like, almost made a comment about that.
1: There's definitely a reason that my three potential picks this week were Portrait of Jason, Paris is Burning, and the Beaver Trilogy, because I thought they all could stand to inform each other. But we'll, we'll see when we watch the other two at some point, I guess.
0: Interesting. Um, yeah, so I hope you guys watch it for that reason.
1: Fun fact, the mean girl at the cafe in the third part, mm-hmm. that's the voice of Tommy Pickles in Rugrats.
0: Really? E.G. Daily. She was awful. Yeah. She was she's very awful. I in, hated her the most, I think. Yep. Yeah. She's also
1: in Wee's Big Adventure. Oh. Which we should absolutely watch at some point. That would mm-hmm. make a great double feature with Elvira, Mistress of the
0: Dark. I've seen that movie. You've seen Elvira? No. Oh, no, I've not seen Elvira. Isn't yeah. Elvira something like... Isn't the play, um... It's not based on a play. It's not based on a play, but I thought the play came first of Life Spirit and Elvira. Oh, no. Oh, okay.
1: It is based on August
0: Osage County, but... So, okay.
1: <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, why you shouldn't watch this movie. There are jarring scenes of, uh, self-harm. Or not self-harm, but attempted self-harm. To the point where it's just... Yeah, it's, it's... It will shake you up, um, and it's disturbing. I do think that the second installment is really mean spirited, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and I think that serves the structure of the film as a whole, and that affects the catharsis of the third segment. But even the first time I was watching it, I just felt, I felt very, very uncomfortable, um, and frustrated with the filmmaker at first. Uh, so there's that I, you might just not be able to get past that 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 pain uh that i experience in the second part it is the same story three times it's also totally not the same story three times but if you don't want to watch a movie and do a lot of brain work to sort of like nitpick the differences and i don't know just go through this whole mental process that you've heard us unspooling for the past hour or so then then don't watch this film and if you don't like crispin (laughs) clover Uh, don't watch this film because I understand that he has a sort of manic energy that can be hard to approach.
0: Who's that again?
1: The, the third one. Oh. Yeah. Let's see. He's... I think he's in another one of Trent Harris's movies that I want to watch called Reuben and Ed, which mm-hmm. is about two guys trying to bury their dead cat in the desert.
0: Mm-hmm. I remember you telling me about this. hmm
1: So, anyway... Yeah, I
0: don't know why you would want to watch this movie. Like, for the story itself... I would understand why you wouldn't want to watch this movie like to learn how to make film. Like I
1: highly recommend this film.
0: Um, but I, like for like I think the two short stories make me not want to actually know the Beaver kid at all. Mm. Um, even though I thought the first part was pretty genuine and like he was likable. But then it was like the other two parts makes me think that I actually wish I like have not known the first kid. Mm. Like, you could watch this movie, or you could watch How to Be a Latin Lover, and are you telling me you're going to choose the Beaver Trilogy for and not me, watch a man try to get a sugar mama?
1: For me, the last two parts of the film do not eclipse the purity of Groove and Gary in the and first
0: so, part. Yeah, and obviously for me, it does. Yeah. For me, it is very gruesome, where, like, I would just gruesome. not want to, like, I would not, I wish I did not know the Beaver Kid um, at this point. You
1: know what gruesome means?
0: Violent.
1: I mean, literally, like the word grew, G R U E.
0: Mm-hmm. It's an
1: old verb meaning to shudder.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: gruesome is like shuddersome, which I like. I thought that was a fun little
0: mm, little tidbit.
1: Yeah, etymology. I'm shuddering
0: as we speak.
1: All right. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm getting hungry, so I'm going to go eat a hot dog or something. <laughs> yep.
0: All right, guys. My name is Timber Sally. My name is Timber Sally. Who did this last time. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Timberth Sally.
1: <laughs> my, may, my name may at some point be Ian Sutherland so will see you guys.